0: Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name's Johnny, together with my wife Amy, we lead this church here in the centre of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. If we can help you in any way at all, please feel free to get in touch and email us at info at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. So i just uh, introduce our guest. Um, many of you already know uh, Bishop Paul. He's, um, he's one of the reasons, one of the key reasons that we're here today, and uh, not just, in, not just sort of personally, although he is that. Amy and I um, were invited to play a part in this church and, and to come and lead Trinity because essentially Bishop Paul took a really big risk on us. Uh, we were, you know, some might say we are, Totally unproven and very, very wet behind the ears. Um, when, when talk of this church, uh, Trinity Church, didn't have a name then, uh, began to emerge. But um, through a, a series of circumstances that I don't think any of us fully expected, <laughs> uh, we ended up in a coffee shop, uh, a Costa coffee shop, somewhere in Nottingham, realizing that perhaps what God was doing uh, was to um, change our job description slightly. Um, around this opportunity to plant Trinity, and really, I can't—I can't think of any other uh, bishop who, in the country, who would have been brave enough, um, bold enough, uh, insert other words, uh, to do that and to allow to allow us to do this. And we're therefore personally just immensely grateful. Um, but we do owe such a lot. I mean, we owe obviously everything t- to God, whose idea this was. But God has worked so. Um, clearly through Bishop Paul in bringing this church to to Nottingham and even having the idea and, and prayerfully considering that before God. So as Bishop Paul comes and as we are asking questions, can we just welcome him and thank him? And, uh, and there's much more we could say, um, I'm sure, and, and some of that we'll say now, but... We have, we have been um, fortunate enough over the last few years, I think, to have Bishop Paul probably once or twice uh, a year at different occasions. And he's spoken in some key moments in the life of our church. I think the last time we had you here was when we opened this upstairs space, mm. I think. Mm. And uh, you came to speak to us and Nicky and uh, Pippa Gumbel were here. And we had a great celebration together. Um, but it's wonderful to have you back. And we just thought one of the ways that we could sort of get the most from you, (laughs) was just to interview, because I know there's a number of things that we can, I want you to say today, and we'd love to say that are connected with the series we're in as a church, Mm. and we'll maybe begin there, but also love you just to feel freedom, really, to speak into more broadly what you see happening, both in this church, in this diocese, but, you know, across the church in this country. So hopefully we'll get to all of that, as well as future plans. Great. Um, So we'll see how we go.
1: But brilliant. First one, first question. Um, We would love to know a little bit about your story. You know, how have you ended up here in a nutshell? Um, Yeah, tell us a little (laughs) bit about who you are and your story, how you found the Lord, all that stuff.
2: Okay, thanks. Well, first of all, good morning, everyone. It's great to be uh, back at Trinity again. And um, my story begins... So when I ask this question of people quite a lot, when I'm and, and uh, I'm I, and, and sometimes people give you you're expecting the two minute version, they give you the the, the two hour version, or they've, they're going at that pace, and, uh, and sometimes it's the other way around. But I, so I try and give you the very sort of quick version, but a few little sort of insights into the journey. But um, grew up in the West Country, so till I was 18, living in Somerset, and. Um, and uh, I went to uh, the same sixth form college as uh, Kate's um, here, and um, yeah, no, no, we, we weren't quite there at the same time. Uh, <laughs> it's about three decades, four decades apart, but anyway, it hadn't changed all that much during that time. Um, and uh, so I grew up in Somerset, sort of my sort of family roots there go back sort of generations on both sides of the family, Um, And in in a way, the story of how I come to be here, I kind of see, as sometimes you do when you look back, you see things a bit more clearly, don't you, over time. But I see now that God was, as it were, sowing the seed um, of not only a faith in me um, from my earliest memories, but also um, sowing into me that calling um, that has led to me being here Today, because we we lived in a um, small market town just to the southwest of Taunton, and that's where I spent most of my life growing up. And um, my mother had a very um, uh, sort of committed Christian faith. She was converted from a non-church background when she was 16. She was taken along by a friend to a Baptist church, and um, and just. Made the decision to follow Christ, and from that moment on, her life was just totally orientated around the person of Jesus. And she spoke very personally about her relationship with Jesus. My father had a and has a very real faith, but much quieter, quite self-contained, kind of of his generation in a way, um, hardworking, but faith was sort of something he found difficult to talk personally about. But we grew up, my brother and my sister and I, sort of in this environment where, for my mother, faith was just a real thing. And it was about a real person. It was about Jesus. Now that is an amazing, amazing gift. And I think um, that's that's the roots, the foundation. But when we moved, when I was about six to this town, to Wellington, um, my parents made the decision to go to the local church, the church that was nearest to us. It was the Church of England church. And um, and it was a fairly sort of kind of standard church, what then would have been a fairly standard Church of England church. Um, there was a Sunday school. I went out to the Sunday school. Um, it was in the days when Sunday schools were quite big because there wasn't much else to do for kids on a Sunday. So a lot of kids from the, from the town would come to Sunday school. Um, but I hated Sunday school um, because um, partly because my mother was helping to lead it. And that's kind of when you're like six, seven, that's quite a hard thing. But also, I was, I've always been... Sort of kind of activistic by nature, and therefore the way the color, it was a kind of coloring Sunday school kind of theme. And I just found that stuff and craft and cutting out, and that stuff didn't do it for me. Um, so It did for some kids, but it didn't for me, which meant I didn't find Sunday school the most entertaining or uh, engaging uh, time of the week. But then I discovered when I was about. Um, Eight, that you, the, the only way out of Sunday school was to join the choir. And I loved singing. I still love singing. So I joined the choir because then he didn't have to go to Sunday school and you got paid a little bit. And it was quite a serious uh, church choir. And that propelled me into the, the world of adult church, which at that time was quite significant because it, it was at the same point that God had begun, I, I can see now, to do something sort of stepping in Into my life in a very personal way. My parents would always do the kind of bedtime prayer thing. But what began to happen when I was about seven or eight, as well, is I began when the light went out, when they went out of the room, I began just to carry on talking to God, and and I just talked to him about my day, what was going on, how I was feeling, and um, and and I can see now. I thought I it was my idea. I can see now, God. God was inviting me into a conversation with him. And in a way, from that moment on, my my Christian life, my faith has been about about this relationship, this conversation with with Jesus. But the disconnect, for me, between this personal faith that was growing and the real world of church, adult church, as I was experiencing it, there was a kind of clash. Because this was a church that was, where there were some beautiful things going on, but it was also, broken. And my first, uh, about a year into my time in the choir, the first adult fight I ever witnessed was in the vestry of the church after the morning service, when the man who carried the cross had a fight with the man who played the organ. And it was the most extraordinary thing. I mean, it sounds extraordinary, doesn't it? And like, as a kid, when you see your first fight, when two adults are fighting, so usually it's in the street or in a city center, this you can imagine the impact it makes on, a, on an eight, nine-year-old when the first fight you see is in a church vestry. And, and some of the choir men tried to pull these two apart, and the chorus, we were kind of ushered into the corner of the vestry to protect us from getting hurt. Um, and I kind of thought, wow, on one level it was shocking, but I began to realize over time, and it wasn't just in that area, that the, the kind of church is, is not... A place where a whole bunch of perfect people are put together, far from it, it was it was seeing the brokenness um, and yet seeing the beauty of what lay behind the vision of the church and and I kind of over time um, began to to feel I think quite quickly, um, this is not all that church is meant to be, and if if the faith that 's become real and personal to me is relevant for every single person living in this town, then this church could be more than it is at the moment. And, um, and it, there were some beautiful things going on in that church, including a couple, a retired naval captain who basically, most of the time, just kept his head down, but loved the Lord, had an experience, um, renewal in his life and his wife, and, and he, they ran the only house group in the church. Um, which for a while had been an official house group, and then shortly before I was invited to join it, it was, it was um, outlawed by the new vicar because he didn't want a house group. So it then became an underground house group, and that's exciting for a... Uh, an 11-year-old, when I was first invited by this couple to join a group where the average age was 60-something. And yet they'd seen that God was doing something in my life. There was no youth group to join or anything else like that. And there was another young person who had a connection with the church and invited both of us to come to their group. And we joined them. And for the next three, four years, weekly, I, I meet with this group. Uh, all in their sixties, and we—they pray for us. They, they—we'd study the Bible, um, and they talk about Jesus. So, but I think it, that was the point at which I began to wonder: Is God asking me to be a part of helping a broken and yet beautiful thing—the most beautiful thing that's happening in our on our planet, which is the Church of Jesus Christ—to be, to be all that God wants it to be in our nation. So so that's sorry that's the f- five minute version of it, but it's, that's, that's why I'm here um.
1: This actually might lead on to the next question, but um, we're in a series of um, holiness which of uh, saints mm-hmm. talking about holiness, and Johnny last week um, shared really powerfully about what it looks like to be ho- like to have holy ambition yeah um, so I'd love to ask: Was it? What are you ambitious about for yourself and for the diocese, for the city? You know, similar yeah. to what you were saying just now. Even.
2: Yeah. Well, I think again, I think my holy ambition was, as I said, was planted in me at a really young age, and it was about seeing the renewal of the church and and being a part of that in whatever way God might have in mind. Um, um, I don't think I had a picture of what I'd be doing. I certainly didn't think, whatever. 40 years later, I'd be in Nottingham, um, leading, as it were, a diocese, a family of 300-plus churches. But in in another sense, and I think my ambition is reflected for me every morning where I I begin the day um, uh, in prayer, and I look at the house we live in, um, what um, is the sort of as it were, the sort of the church centre of the diocese, which is a place called um, Southwell or Southwell, what, um, depends whether you live there and you call it Southwell, or, or you live outside and you probably call it <laughs> Southwell. Um, but we, we live there next to the, the, the cathedral church, and we live in a, in a house that was w- was built in about 1100, uh, but then it got knocked down um, during the time of Cromwell, and, it's, and it was rebuilt when the diocese was was set up. And, um, and so we live in a house that's sort of rebuilt in the ruins. And for me, every morning, that is a picture of what God has called me and all of us to be part of. It is about the realizing that God loves rebuilding in the ruins. He doesn't clear them and say, until you've cleared the ruins, I'm not going to start work. So when he's working in our lives, he doesn't just say, clear up your life and then I'll start I'll start some work in you. He rebuilds in the ruins of our lives through his amazing grace, and he's doing that in his church. And particularly for the Church of England, um, I think that we see a rebuilding work going on, and I'm, I'm so thrilled to be a part of it. God is, is unquestionably on the move in this nation, in this city, and in this diocese. But It's challenging. And it's because rebuilding, if anyone's, I don't know whether there are any builders here, but if you rebuild in the ruins, you sometimes think, well, wouldn't it just be easier? I'd just kind of go and start somewhere else. But, it's, but actually, um, it is challenging, but it is also thrilling. And, and we're seeing that. Um, it's not about the buildings, um, though sometimes it involves having to kind of sort out building issues, as you've had here. But, it's, but it is in the end about the people of God um, as, a, as a people of worship. Um, a holy people, and and seeing my prayer is that every community, there won't be a single community across this, this county, and there's, we go a little way into South Yorkshire, and I get in trouble if I miss those parishes, those churches, so let me just say it's mostly the county and a little bit of South Yorkshire, but just that every community will have an outpost of the kingdom of God, a people called, to, first of all, to Christ, and then... Uh, to live for Christ in that community and wherever God calls them day by day. So that's, that's my ambition. In the end, how it happens and how it looks is, is I'm just trying to stay close, as close as I can to God and trust that he will, he will do it. Um.
0: I think we're up for that. That sounds good. That sounds good. Um, you used the word maybe two or three times and hopefully this question won't sort of take us over stuff you've already said but I just think the word you've used two or three times is renewal mm. you know and I think you used it initially to speak about uh, the navy captain in your church who'd experienced that for himself and then you're talking really about also an institutional and even a national yeah. renewal I wonder I don't, I'm trying to form my question sort of as I say I'd <laughs> love you to speak into what that renewal looks like um you know you talked about it being the kingdom of God in, when it when renewal happens in somebody 's life mm. or or in a city or in a or in a church,
2: what might we expect to see that 's a great question um I think in a way for me it 's linked to uh, the, the the question that I know that lies at the heart of this this little series that you 're in at the moment about what is what is a holy person what is I mean, because if holy people are those who are set apart for God, then what is, what is a, a, um, a family of holy people look like? What's it for? And I, I think there's a um, holiness for me. I mean, again, one of the battles I had as a teenager, having had faith planted in my heart really early on and a vision for the church, was the, was the fear that, um, as I went through my teenage years, that maybe... Certainly, it was what I I guessed other people imagined I was on a path towards, but I I feared it sometimes. Have I chosen a a life that's going to be very worthy? It's going to be about doing holy things, um, but actually it's going to have all the, the joy, the power, the excitement sucked out of it. Now, I needn't have worried because it was quite the opposite in the end, and quite quickly I began to read stories about people like William Wilberforce, you were talking about him last year, i think, thinking, no, oh my goodness. It's, it doesn't, I mean, you are going to be in the front line and, and it is, it's going to be the most incredible adventure and it has been and, and, and it still is. Um, but I think realising that holiness in the end is about being fully alive. Yeah. And if there's, a, there's an early Christian leader, teacher called Irenaeus, who was writing at the beginning, just the very beginning of the second century, Um, early on in the story of the church and he said um, the glory of God is a human being fully alive and it seems to me that um, uh, it is it is about uh, holiness is about being fully alive in the way that God alone can give us life It, it is not about being less than who we are it is about being much more uh, uh, than, than we, the limitations we place on ourselves, or those, as you were praying, you know, the spots that we allow over time other people to place on us. So I think, um, for me, it, it is about churches. It, I, whether they're a church of three, 400, or it's a church in a tiny village of, of sort of 15 people, it is about people being, uh, growing and being fully alive to God, attentive to God, attentive to what he's doing in their life, attentive to the people around them. Um, and I think that, it, for me, is the, the when I meet what I would kind of term holy people who've made an impact on my life, it's the way in which they are fully alive. Yeah. Um, that's,
0: that's wonderful. I, I'd love to l- maybe just push into that um, and, ask, and ask a follow-up question which has to do with how, therefore, do we live? And I, I think this is one of the things that... You know, the church has sort of had different, uh, there's a whole spectrum here. The church has had different sort of ends of the spectrum. Yeah. There have been those who have said, well, okay, if we're going to be holy, then we need to be, it means to be set apart for God. Therefore, we actually need to separate ourselves and we, you know, monastic sort of yeah. desert fathers sort of thing. And then we've had people who've gone maybe the, the other end of the spectrum and... At the moment, this is a real thing, um, so that there's a lot being written, which is mm. a, more, has more to do with this recovery of almost a monastic idea of re- regular daily spiritual discipline, and we ourselves are interested yeah. in that. Um, and and I, I was reading, as you know, reading Wilberforce's um, biography by William Hague this week, because I preached on him last week, and I thought I really should find out what actually happened, <laughs> uh, more than just what's on Wikipedia. Um, so I've been reading that and really enjoying it, and there's this is one moment which I mentioned to you, where mm. Wilberforce has become, he's had a, a real awakening in his faith, and he's been a politician for a number of years, and he's best friends with the then Prime Minister, William Pitt the Younger. And he, 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 having had this awakening, he assume, this renewal, mm. he assumes that the right thing for him to do is to basically stop being a politician and be a missionary or something like that. And then Pitt writes to him and says, surely the principles as well as the practice practices of christianity are simple and lead not to meditation only but to action yeah. uh, you're an activist as you've said you're also somebody who prays very regularly can you speak to what speak to this tension say say something about this tension say something about what a christian life that's yeah. pursuing holiness means when let's be honest we don't all have the ability to spend 24/7 in prayer, because we've got yep. kids to raise or businesses to run, some of us have yeah. churches to lead, or similar. It's, and it's no, really
2: it's a great question, and I'm I'm really I'm trying to I, I'm I'm kind of as it were leaning into this question at the moment, yeah. both for myself and for the life of the diocese. Um, over the last three four years, there I mean there are now 70 people in full time. Um, ordained leadership in the diocese who weren't here three years ago, um, and, um, and there, are, there are many, many more people who have stepped into new forms of, uh, as it were, non-ordained leadership in Church of England terms, who are hugely involved in the mission of the church, and, I'm, and there, there are new fires being lit all around the place, and I'm really quite excited, but as a bishop with a carer kind of oversight for that, I'm trying to think, how do we, how do we stay alive Because if to be holy at its essence is about a a human being fully alive to God, how do we stay fully alive when actually the pace of the mission is sometimes unrelenting? And Jesus says the kingdom advances with force. And and one of the things the disciples soon discovered—I mean, Mark one—we had the reason we had that reading—is they kind of everything goes like whoosh, the fire is lit in Capernaum, and they kind of go, fantastic, we're underway. Jesus, this is this is great, and he he knows what he has to do the next morning. He's out and he's on his knees and he's praying, um, and um, and it's only—I mean—in in the gospel story, he's only just in fact got back from spending forty days praying in the wilderness. And the mission's got started, and it's not that he's done the praying now. He's sort of topped himself up, and it's going to keep him going for the next three and a half years. It's a daily rhythm and pattern for, for Jesus. Um, and he's out there first thing in the morning, and he's praying. And, then, um, and the disciples want to know, where's he gone? So they go, because like, it's gone so well the day before, and there's a revival in Capernaum. They want Jesus back in the middle of it. And they go to Jesus and say, look, what are you doing Um, apart from praying, um, come back, everyone's looking for you. And that Jesus says, um, let's go somewhere else. And it's like, hold on a minute. This is, from a leadership point of view, this doesn't sound like a good, I mean, if you've got like something happening, let's stay here. We could make Capernaum the center of operations for this new movement. And why are we going off somewhere else? Um, I think what they discovered that moment, being a disciple is simply, staying close to Jesus. And when he moves, you move. So they went off. And, they, and Jesus wasn't going to stop there. And, it, and the movement of the gospel, there is an energy as a force. But against the backdrop of this extraordinary, um, uh, the, the pace of the gospel advancing, is this these rhythms that you see all the way through, the rhythms that sustained Jesus. And if Jesus needed to be sustained by rhythms. Uh, of life, then how much more do his followers need to learn those rhythms? So for me, at this moment in our life as a diocese, and for wonderful people like, like you two and the people that, that share ministry, all, all of these folk here who are part of Trinity, it's how do we stay with the pace... Because sacred pace, which is a phrase I've started. I don't know whether I made that up or whether I got that from somewhere. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, the sacred pace, sometimes people think sacred pace is I've got to live the perfectly ordered life mm-hmm. where I have a half-hour quiet time and I, I always do this and I never forget to have my Sabbath and, I always, and, and, and all these things which are really healthy and good. But the reality is life, life isn't like that. It isn't as simple as that. And actually, there are seasons of our life where we find ourselves going at an extraordinary pace. And we think, am I sinful that it's like this? Or, or is, uh, is this God's will that for a season I need to... And, and f- for me, and I think it's the same question when it comes to sustaining the people of God drawn into the mission of God. I think the sacred pace is set by the Spirit for my life and for the life and mission of the church. What I'm invited to do is to learn the unforced rhythms of grace as Eugene Peterson said how can I learn to live like Jesus to sustain the pace whatever it may look like at this season in my life and in the life of the church and Sarah and my wife and I we often and and, um, our, our kids Joseph's with me today is we often kind of it's a regular experience that I have to go wow that's incredibly, that season we've just been through the last few months is, oh my goodness, like, are we going to survive a, another one of those? I mean, sometimes, it can physically, how are we going to survive that? Um, and, and yet, we turn a corner and we think it's going to be a quiet, I think we're coming into a quieter season, season where we're going to consolidate. And occasionally we get little moments of that, but then the pace sets up again. And there's opportunities that God opens, and we want to be able to move towards them. Um, and m- being able to discern when my pace is driven by an anxious ego more than the, the, the renewing and leading of the Spirit, And that's a difficult thing to discern. But the way we discern that, the way I discern that, is maintaining and developing rhythms of grace, which are exactly the sort of things you were talking about in about what, what on a, a level of one do I need to take responsibility for? Mm. So I, that's the tension that I think um, that, that we live in. I think it's a great tension. Mm. I think God can take care of it. I don't have to kind of agonise over that one. Mm. But I know that if I, get, if I can maintain the rhythms, mm. I can stay in the pace by God's grace. Um,
1: can I just press into the rhythms? Like yeah. For, what, um, what, does it, what does it like really look like for you? Is it... Half an hour in the morning, mm. is it? Like, what is like? Fill us in. What does Great, because like you? Uh, well, you are at a pace. Yeah. yeah.
2: The rhythm for me, and this is, and I wonder whether it's a, it's a little bit. I, I, don't know whether the musicians can tell us afterwards where this works, but there is the rhythm that's set by the, the, the beat, the, the drum, enables the other musicians to just sort of form a, um, a, a around that, and and it's what enables the, and that rhythm can change and the pace can change, but it's a regular rhythm and. For me, it means that I begin the day, I begin it always on my knees because I feel that it's an expression of my adoration, my uh, penitence, that I kind of, there are things I need just to acknowledge before God that I've not got right, but also in adoration. Mm-hmm. So I now, some days I, I can, and, and there's, a, there's a form of prayer that's that, like a, a framework for me. It's not like I rigidly read through these prayers, but it's a, it, they are words that are based on the, the, the earliest prayers of, of the Church of England in, in, the, in our prayer book, and I use those words. They're all from the Bible as a framework, and some days I might be able to be on my knees for an hour um, or in that place of prayer for an hour, sometimes more than that, um, but there might be some days where the pace is such that I'm there for three minutes, and I don't feel... I don't feel content being there for three minutes, but but I'm still going to go there because it's part of the rhythm. Mm. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to say that prayer. I always pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and, um, and acknowledge my need for God that day, even if I'm being catapulted, as it were, into that day at a rate that I would like not to be throne but then it becomes and as you said the sort of point in the middle of the day which I think just again to have that moment of going no this is a moment to say Lord I I still want to put my eyes on you help me in this moment Um, and then that rhythm at the end of the day when Sarah and I read the psalm that I begin the day we end the day reading together and praying together Um, and um, so that's that's the rhythm that on holiday, when it's all nice and kind of chill, or in my busiest, most intense day, where there are lots of things I just uh, uh, that feel way beyond me, the rhythm, that unforced rhythm, um, I think is is what I, enables me to go on learning, to be saturated in Jesus as my the, the primary longing. And for everything else, then, that I do, to flow uh, out of that and from that.
0: Well, we have Bishop Paul here. He's going to you're going to lead us in communion, yeah, which I think picks up a number of those those themes. We've talked about um, the the beauty and the brokenness, and and there's a lot yeah. there that um, you're going to lead us in. But I, I wonder. I, I think just as we've been um, talking, I know there'll be people here who just actually feel just a a desire just to commit to praying for you. Um, yeah. We do pray for you, um, and but I think there'll be people here actually sense, "You know what? I really want to commit to pray for what's happening in the diocese and pray for you." So, uh, could you give us some just a couple of things that, as we're praying for you at the moment, we can be praying particularly
2: for? Thank you. Well, I, I, I shared that we've we've got a, a lot of people who God has called. Some God has raised up from within the city and county, others um, who have been called to join the adventure in Nottinghamshire, in Nottingham. Um, and I love just prayer that I, as I walk with God, I can also walk with those people um, because they're all having to manage the joy and the wonder of staying alive in, in Christ against a sacred pace that sometimes feels unrelenting and then the challenge of how do you not fall into the hurry sick patterns of the culture in which we're living and so I really this question that I'm grappling I really would welcome your prayers for me as I care for those whom he's calling um, and um, and that's not just those called to be ordained but all the people God is the whole body of Christ raised up um, love you to pray for I mean we we had a vision um uh three years ago three and a half years ago we prayed that over the next seven years we might plant or graft seventy five new worshiping communities across the city and around the county and at this point we've there are there are we think there are sort of it there are eighteen new worshiping communities um and this is one of them which is just may i mean I, and i i have to say i am always just I'm incredibly moved and humbled when I come and worship here because I this is a work of God. I mean I, I I'm pleased that I got to be given a little role in it, but I it's a work of God that this is happening. And who I mean when you bear bear in mind what's happened in what three years, I mean who knows what, what's coming next for Trinity, but I think I think God has got a Got a really significant part that he wants this church and, and the people here to play in what's happening in the wider diocese. For you to be partners with some of those new opportunities that God is continuing to open up. Because we've we've got 18. We, we're praying for at least another um, 50 or more. And and there are real opportunities for us. I know we've talked about a sort of partnering opportunity in Mansfield. Love you to pray for Mansfield. 120,000 people um just and we're on the mansfield road so you realize if you keep driving north you'll get to mansfield fairly quickly but also in the city um i, I just think there's a, I, I think there are new things happening in this city and i and i again for you to be involved in that in a myriad of ways but planting and grafting it, it, as god gives us opportunity so I'd, so pray for me is that we sustain the pace that god sets um and like um and I, I, love, I love the way the Apostle Paul talks about uh, in Colossians about strenuously contending uh, for the churches. And I, that's, um, I want, with all the power that Christ so works in me, and I, that's why I would love you to pray, that I will go on strenuously contending with all the power that Christ works, is able to work in me, and, and alongside others who continue to come and share in that. God knows what we need. So I'm kind of trusting he'll go on providing as he has. And, um, and um, if I've got to go and sit and cost a coffee a few more times and, uh, with, with people that God wants to bring to Nottingham or, or put a vision on their heart, then I'm happy to do that. Worst
0: um, places to be. Exactly. <laughs> Good. Well, can we, can we just thank uh, Bishop Paul? and he's, um... Thanks for listening to some of our teaching here at Trinity. We hope it's blessed to you. If you live in the city or live outside of Nottingham and want to connect more with the church, check out some of our practices and pathways on our website. We call them one, few, company, and many. We're passionate about encountering Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he did, both individually and in our lives together, so that we may see the church on fire and the city come alive. You can find these on our website under the Connect tab. Thanks for listening.